Welcome to this week's podcast. My name is Mickey Badlamenti, and I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, we've modified our church schedule to help keep people safe. We currently offer on-site Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. with limited capacity, and we ask that you register ahead of time. Please visit www.rockpoint.org slash register before you join in person. That way we can save your seat. And we also live stream the 11 a.m. service on our YouTube channel. You can always find Rock Point on Facebook or visit the website for more information, including important schedule updates. And while COVID may have affected how we do church, it cannot diminish our efforts together to be the church. We look forward to connecting with you. Enjoy the podcast. I wanted to share something today in just a little bit of time we have together um, that is related very much to what we've been seeing um, in society today, in the culture today. Um, I've called this message today Action and Reaction because I think there's a lot of action going on out there, and I think many times we ask ourselves, how do we react? How do we respond to what we're seeing? To start this off, what I wanted to play for you is a short video okay, that um, shows a couple of parents... They've got a fairly newborn daughter, and they're trying to understand um, if they should offer ice cream for her birthday party. And so you tell me, just watch this video with me, and tell me if you think she approves of the choice for ice cream. Let's just watch that real quick. Ice cream for her birthday party. Likely, <laughs> <laughs> let go. Let go. Let go. <laughs> so, yeah, I think she approves. Did, did you get that? I think that is so cute, her reaction to her parents offering this. But also, you can also hear her parents, particularly her father. It might have been a little bit hard to hear in the auto in that, but he really comes through. He is just giggling and laughing. He is having a great time. You just see the joy in his face as he sees his daughter react to this ice cream. Just really cute. And if only the, uh, the world would serve up ice cream for us to react to. If that's all we had to react to, that'd probably be a good thing, right? But unfortunately, things aren't always that easy. Um, today, there's a lot of things that we're serving up to each other. Um, we see conflict. We see strife. We see insults. We see anger. We see violence. We see a lot of things that are going around uh, certainly doesn't taste like ice cream, doesn't leave that kind of taste in our mouths. And we, it might leave us a bit confused. I mean, quite honestly, you might be looking at this going, where did it all come from? How did it come so quickly? What, what fueled this? What, what brought this about? Why these actions right now? And you might be, you know, tempted to think that it's the frustration due to a pandemic, and that's certainly frustrating. I, I totally get that. I was at the Apple store uh, about a week or so ago, my son's phone was acting up, so I had to go there to get it fixed. I get in the line. Two hours later, I'm still in the line. And, you know, as, as any of you would do, I completely was calm, <laughs> totally patient, um, didn't think about reacting in any way that would be insulting. Or, and, of course, you 
also know that I'm lying. And this is church, so I need to stop that right now, right? Okay, I was, I, I was just biting my, my lip trying to, to not get frustrated and impatient. The people, they were very nice. They did a great job, and, and so everything worked out fine. But I understand that feeling today. But I really believe that it goes deeper than this. What we're seeing goes deeper. And it's important we ask, how did we get here? As, really, it's not just as a nation, it's as the world goes right now. How did we get here? And then if we are to call ourselves followers of Christ, followers of God, um, how do we react to the actions we see? How are we sp- expected to respond to that? So let me just quickly start off by giving you a snapshot, because in order to do this, I really believe we have to take a look at about 100 years of time here. Things in culture move somewhat slow to take shape and take root. And so let's take a quick look at that, okay? And if you back up to somewhere around the late 1800s, okay, about a little over 100 years ago, you had a movement culturally that really went globally called modernism. It was a movement that, def- that, that as people were modernizing, we were solving problems, we were industrializing, we were figuring things out. There were many things that went along with modernism, but one of the chief things that went along with that, at least in terms of spirituality, philosophy, and things like this, is people decided that they would reject God, that really we didn't need God anymore. We had progressed enough to realize that that was kind of an outdated concept. And you see this... Um, take root so strongly that by 50, 60 years later, you see a major publication like Time Magazine produce a magazine like this. That was a a very well-known cover in the mid-60s. Is God dead? They were asking that question to the world. Is God dead? Do we believe that? Is that where we're at? That didn't start there. That question actually was, was echoing something that was asked by, among others, a, a major philosopher 50, 60 years before this by the name of Frederick Nietzsche. He, asked the, he made the famous statement, God is dead. He told a story of a madman who was proclaiming this in the street and, and basically shaping you know, our society and our progress. We've come to a point of saying, God is dead. We've killed him. We are the, we are the grave diggers of God. We are the pallbearers of God. Basically framing this idea that he is, is no more. We don't have any need of, of God anymore. And so that was something that he shaped. But what's interesting is he also captured something then by a bit of a warning. That same madman who said that said, how have we done this? How have we wiped away the horizon, he said. Think of that statement. How have we taken that reference point that defines our values, our ethics, our morality, our spirituality, all that we are that grounds us, how have we wiped that away, the sun and the horizon and everything that gives us a reference point for life? How have we done this? He was asking that almost as a warning call to say, where will we go from here? And a man by the name of G.K. Chesterton said it well. He said, you may turn from God, but in heaven's name to what? To what will you turn? What will answer your ethic and and your morality and your values and your spirituality and and your reason for being? What will ground you anymore? But we didn't heed that warning. Uh, God was dead. That was where society largely was. And then we see that led up to about the 60s, and then the 60s movement happened. Everybody remember? You've heard about the 60s movement. You've lived through the 60s movement, okay? You kind of remember some of that. But there there was something going underneath all the partying and the other stuff, okay? And that was, again, a change of spirituality, a change of philosophy that brought in an era known as postmodernism. This was an era which, among other things, again, 
First we rejected God, and now there was the rejection of absolute or objective truth, that there are objective truths out there. Something is true, something is false, something is right, something is wrong. A, a, a view, a worldview, or a view on things might be superior, some might be not so superior. There was a conversation on those kind of things, and that was disappearing because we were now rejecting objective truth. The lines were getting blurred. In fact, here's a famous magazine cover from that era. And if you notice here, there's really not, you can't get any sense of a unified theme. There's no grand narrative here, right? There's no design. You've got, you've got shapes and things going in all different ways, right? You've got, if you look carefully, you've got a fish and a face mask, you got a feather on there and a flower. You got a dagger and a Mick Jagger. <laughs> I think that's Mick Jagger. I don't know who that is in the middle. <laughs> so you have nothing here other than my horrible rhyme. I, I was not a rapper for a reason, okay? You, you, you have no unifying theme to any of this, and that was really reflecting the culture. Everything was coming apart at the seams. There was no ultimate truth, no grand narrative for all. The idea of the truth started to get replaced with my truth or your truth. You might have heard those phrases. They became popular in the ensuing decades. And, and eventually something very, very significant happened that shapes what we're seeing today. Along with this idea came what was known as the death of tolerance. Tolerance was classically understood to be the idea where you and I can disagree you and I can present opposing views. One may be true, one may be false, one may be superior, one may be inferior. Whatever that conversation leads, though, we can have that conversation, we can even disagree on it, but we can do that in a way that preserves our dignity and respects one another. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, people are made in the image of God, and so they should be respected. But there's a problem now. See, God is dead. And if God is dead and truth is dying, then human dignity is going along with it. And so tolerance changed. It went from this understanding that there are truths and we need to discover and search those out and we may disagree in the process of doing that, but we can do that in di without being disagreeable and disrespectful and demeaning. And that changed and to a point where now tolerance meant that all views must be held as equally true, equally valid. You cannot contradict or critique a view. Every view must be accepted as equally true, but here's the real rub, and that anyone who opposes that idea, anyone who critiques any view out there, needs to be silenced. Does that sound familiar? Needs to be silenced or canceled or stopped. The problem, of course, with this, and this is where it began, is who is given the power to silence? And there was an individual that called this out. I heard him do it in 2004. I sat there at a university as the late Ravi Zacharias, great thinker on these things, said, we're reaching a point where postmodernism has, the, the soil has been prepared, the seeds have been planted. You see, the weeds never just grow up right away. You have to ask yourself, where did this come from? And he said, those seeds have been planted and now they're going to grow. Because any time you try to deny truth, any time you try to say all of these views, even if, if one contradicts another, they still need to all be treated as true, and, and no one can question that, inevitably one of those views will be separated out and it will rise up and become the standard by which to judge all the rest. And that will be done through the power given it to do so. And that's where we find ourselves. There were inklings of this some years ago. 
There was a university that has been known, including in the 60s, as a bastion of a place that defended free speech, the ability for us to talk freely and respect one another, even our disagreements. University of California, Berkeley, UC Berkeley. And there was a time at which when some speakers were coming in there to share their points of view, there were certain groups that didn't agree with that. That's fine. That should happen. And there should be dialogue back and forth. But something was changing now in the culture. And what you saw is those groups busted windows and burned cars and did all of this until the university disinvited those speakers. had nothing to do. I'm not making a point about what the views of the speakers or the people who opposed them were. The point was the culture was changing to a place where we no longer tolerated the discussion. Discussion was ending. And we were now turning to a place that represented a failure to listen and a failure to talk with one another. And that now has gotten us to a place, this third movement that is built on modernism and postmodernism called post-truth. This is the idea that we don't really care if there's truth or not because what really matters is what I prefer and what I feel. That is all that matters to me. It's basically gone from a rejection of God and then a rejection of truth through the previous two movements to now the complete overthrow of God and truth in our hearts individually. And this is a spiritual issue I'm talking about. We've gotten to the place where now Time published another magazine just some years back. Look at that. Is Truth Dead? They were critiquing certain figures out there, national figures and others. But I'll tell you, what they were hitting on was something far greater, is that everybody is falling prey to this. This idea that, ironically, Nietzsche captured over 100 years earlier that said, once this happens, once we've killed off God, once we've killed off truth, once we have become, our preferences have become all in all, then we will get to a place where we will silence through the will of our power. It was called the will to power. We will silence other voices if necessary using force. We have gotten to a place where as each person continues to adopt this individually, it's moving us to a place of anarchy. God help us. And again, this is, I'm talking about a spiritual issue here. I think it was Randy a few weeks ago when he was talking in this uh, series on the Psalms, and he mentions one of the problems that ultimately we're, what we're seeing today is rooted, he believed, in a spiritual issue of, of rejection of God and rejection of his authority. I couldn't agree more. Because the word anarchy comes from two Greek words, anarche, which literally means no beginning. If we wipe the horizon away, if we wipe God away, the beginning and the origin of our, of our truth, of our values, of our morality, of our re- very purpose for existing, this is where it leads. So how, how do we react to this? If these are the actions of the past hundred years that have gotten us to the point, how do we react as followers of, of Christ? What do we do? I think the biggest mistake we can make is to look at that and think that the problem is out there. That the problem is that others have adopted this way of thinking, and since I'm a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, that I'm somehow immune to this. That's a mistake. Because the rejection of God and the rejection of the truth, it might be amplified by what we've seen in the last hundred years, but it didn't start there. It actually started when the first man and woman decided to reject and rebel against God and became the first anarchists. That's where it began. And it's been a part of the human condition, and it's infected us ever since. And so we need to ask ourselves, how do we ensure that we are not a part of the problem? 
And if you ask, what does the problem look like? I think there's at least two main characteristics that you'll see in, in, a, in a soul and in a mind that has adopted this, this way of thinking. The first is that you'll see somebody who talks, 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 and insults people. Insults, name calls, and labels. Because when you do that, you shut down conversation. You shut down other views. You've, you've taken on this new idea of tolerance. Or you see people who get very angry and maybe even resort to violence, in which case you're now shutting down not just a point of view, but you're shutting down the person themselves. And there never will be any conversation, any moving forward, respecting the dignity of all who are made in God's image. That's the evidence of it. And so, and so what are we going to do about this? If we claim to want to follow God, how will we react? And the remaining time I want to give you is Scripture because, again, this issue existed from the beginning and it existed in biblical times too, and we're going to see an example of it right now. But I believe God has called us to wisdom and character in trying times like these. And this is the moment to understand what's our guide. It better not be our hearts because our hearts can be led astray. But let's look to Scripture as our guide and see what should be guiding us in these moments. And I want to start with what I consider one of the foremost rules on this that God gave us. And I've spent a little bit of time on this in some of the, the weekly Wednesday devotionals. Some of you may have heard this in the Daily Journey devotionals on Facebook. If so, please bear with me because I, I feel some of this bears repeating. We need to understand what's going on. But James, in the, in, in the first chapter of the book of James, he tells us this after he's talking about wisdom and the importance of if we are lacking wisdom in these times and we feel that we need more from God to understand how to deal with situations, he said, let's go to God and he'll give it to us. And then he begins to lay out what some of that looks like, how to deal with sin, how to deal with other things. And then he makes this statement. He says, now understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. We need to understand, he's saying, listen and understand. You must all be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to become angry. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, if that's our guide and if that's being wise, and I've said this sometimes in the past, then if you flip that around and you're quick to angry, get angry and you're quick to speak but you're slow to listen, then that means we're being foolish. And that's the warning that God is giving us. So with that as our backdrop, Let's look at a story. This is something that happened a long time ago between David, Nabal, and Abigail. David and a man named Nabal and his wife, Abigail. And let's look at, if we can learn from this, what it is we should be doing and what it is we shouldn't be doing in trying times. And so, quick backdrop to this. David is a man who is a strong leader. He's got, at this point, around 600 men following him. He is also going to be king one day of the people. God has proclaimed this. The people knew it. They saw it in him. They proclaimed it of him. They knew that that's who they were dealing with. And so David, even though he had all that going for him, he had a man named Saul who was a king who didn't like him. He was envious of him. He had some other things against him, and he was coming after David to take his life. So David was a bit on the run here. And as you know, sometimes, you know, in moments like that, difficult moments, you, you, sometimes you can end up a little bit short on food and supplies. Anybody know anything about that, by the way? Ever been there recently? Okay. And so David's going to reach out to Nabal for some supplies. I think they were doing okay on toilet paper, but I, I don't know. You guys remember those days? Oh, jeez. And so David, David basically sends Nabal a text here, and he says, Hey, Nabal, 
He says, um, you know, I, I helped out some of your guys, actually. I protected some of your people in the past. Just reminding you of that. But uh, right now, I'm a little bit in a hard way with my, with, my, with my folks here. And I'm wondering if you could help us out. A little bit of food, a little bit of water. We'd be extremely grateful. We're kind of on the way. We can stop in. If you could hand some of the stuff out, it would be great. Nabal, had, Nabal was in, in well-to-do shape. He, was, he, had some, he, had, he had some resources. Wasn't going to put him out too much. And so that's what David asked. And then we pick up the story here in 1 Samuel 25, verses 10 and 11. Nabal answered David and says this, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Now, everybody knew who David was. He had been proclaimed, and people knew he was on a path to kingship. So it wasn't like he wasn't known. This guy was being sarcastic, okay? I'm dripping with sarcasm on purpose because that's how he would have sounded. Who is this David? Who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. In other words, David, you may be a leader, you may be a king, but to me, you're just a lowly servant. He was insulting him. Nabal insulted David in this moment. He, he resorted not only to being quick to speak without even thinking or trying to understand David's situation or his pain or his background, but he was quick to insult, name-calling. You, you, you ever see anything like that nowadays? I mean, the, just a week ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who works at Walmart, and she was telling me how somebody came into the Walmart and was looking for some stuff there and couldn't find what they were looking for and got so upset that they called this friend of mine, they called her the B-word. They called her some other things, and then they looked at her and they said, You're garbage. Now think about this. We are people made in God's image. God infused us with dignity, and yet we have resorted to calling people garbage because a store doesn't have what we want at the moment. Think about that. Where are we going? And so we've got all the labels nowadays. And some, some things may re, you know, relate to subjects that are important and we need to consider. So I don't mean to downplay that anything I'm about to say, but you think about the labels we just flippantly throw around onto people. Racist, sexist, xenophobe, snowflake, commie, pinko, fascist, garbage. I could keep going. Have you heard any of these labels? Have you seen them used? Have you seen them published online? This is what we do. Nabal was, was quick to speak. He was quick to insult. He was very slow to listen and understand. That was Nabal. Is, is that you? Is that me? Is that what we're doing today? David one-ups him. Yeah, you know, David's pretty wise. We studied the Psalms in these past weeks, and he penned a number of those, and he had a lot of wise things to do. But remember this, David was human too. David wasn't immune to this issue we're talking about. And so David responds and says to his men, each of you strap on your sword. And they did, and David strapped his on as well. And about 400 men went up with David. The story goes on to tell, say David said, I, I'm going to kill every one of them. I, I swear to you, they're all going down. Okay, David was a man of action. A little bit of overreaction? Maybe, okay. His reaction to this was pretty extreme. All right, and David forgot what the book of wisdom, the book of Proverbs tells us in Scripture this is what God would ask us to do. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. James, actually, the same James who told us, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, went on to say, don't become angry because anger does not produce the righteousness of God. We need to be very careful if we're justifying how we're getting angry at everybody and everything that we're reading, seeing, experiencing. And so... 
David was quick to anger, but slow to listen. He was foolish, just like Nabal. Is, is that you? Is that me? I can tell you this, that captures pretty much about 99.9% of conversation on social media today, doesn't it? And probably a lot of our conversation and our reaction as well. And this is why we're not having conversation today. Because insults shut down conversation. Anger shuts down people. That's what's happening. And if it continues, we're going to lose this world. We're going to lose the dignities that God told us we should never ignore. Now, Abigail comes in, and she reacts very differently. So somebody comes to Abigail and tells her David's on the way. It was like true Paul Revere fashion. Remember that? The British are coming. The British are... Somebody comes up to Abigail like, David's coming. David's coming. you got to deal with this. we got to do something. And Abigail is quick to listen. She understands. She even, the scripture tells us, thinks it over. She wants to understand how to react to this, this action that everybody's taking in this moment. And so as David is charging in, 400 men, swords, they're probably on camels. They didn't really, camels were more prominent than horses in those days. And they can get going pretty fast. So they could have been coming in 25 miles an hour, okay, strapped with swords and everything. And all of a sudden, here comes Abigail, and this is what we read in verse 20. It says, as she came riding her, riding her what? Riding her donkey. Don't miss that. A donkey is not only an animal that kind of speaks of a, of a, of a lowly position, and really, Nabal and Abigail weren't, weren't, weren't uh, lowly. They were fairly well off. But there's more to it than that. In fact, some of you might remember when Jesus rode into Jerusalem just a few days before he would be sacrificed for the sins of all, he rode in on a what? On a donkey. In fact, one of the prophets had prophesied that. He said, look, your king, your God, your king is coming to you. He is mighty and victorious, but that's not how he's coming to you. He's coming to you humble, riding on a donkey. Abigail came into the moment humble with humility. James chapter 4 said, humble yourselves before the Lord and he'll lift you up in honor. That's how Abigail approached it. And then we're told she fell at David's feet and said, I accept all blame in this matter, my Lord. Please listen to what I have to say. Now that is amazing. Abigail did nothing wrong. And yet she was willing to intercede in this moment and, and, and allow that to dispel. Now this is, there's a danger. We don't want to misapply scripture here because if you notice up to this point, we, we haven't said that if you're angry, you ride in with swords on camels. We haven't said if you want to resolve a situation, you have to ride in on a donkey. That would kind of be missing the point, okay? And it would also be missing the point here, frankly, to say that if you um, are wanting to resolve a situation, you need to prostrate before others and, 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 and display that. She did that in this situation because of David's high standing, and she knew that, and she was showing respect to that, okay? But the main thing that she was doing here is that she was bringing in the spirit of humility to the situation. She was recognizing real pain. She was accepting of that pain. She was empathizing. She understood the background. We could do more of that and bring that into conversations. And she was desiring a genuine resolution here. And that really stopped David and his men short. It wasn't what he expected. He expected to meet force with force. And yet here was Abigail coming in with humility and even in deference saying, look, hold it to my account if you have to, but just hear me out. And she asked for the right to be heard. She didn't demand it. She didn't force it. She didn't yell it out. She asked for that. And that stopped him short. 
Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, A gentle, gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. It's amazing what a spirit of humility and gentleness can bring to diffuse a situation like this. Now she goes on and she tells David, I know Nabal is a wicked and ill-tempered man. Well, she called it right out. Okay, Please don't pay any attention to him. So she didn't avoid the truth. She didn't skirt it. This is not about um, you know, avoiding the issues or ignoring the issues or pretending the issues don't exist to placate others. That's not what it's about. She called it out. In fact, she is the only one really calling out the folly in this situation. She calls it out here, and she's going to call out David in a minute too. But at least she's doing this. She's, she's saying that the cycle of retribution needs to be broken. She's saying, David, two wrongs aren't going to make a right. And so she goes on to say, he was wicked, he was ill-tempered. Yeah, he insulted you. Yeah, he damaged you. Yeah, he hurt you, he angered you. But David, she says, when the Lord has done all he's promised and made you leader of Israel, because we know that that's what's ha- going to happen, don't let this be a blemish on your record. Then your conscience won't have to bear the staggering burden of needless bloodshed and vengeance. Needless. There's a lot of points out there today and a lot of people wanting to make their point. And I think there's legitimate pain behind some of it and there's illegitimate reasons behind others. But whatever the reason, there is a lot of needless bloodshed and violence because we're not thinking about the consequences of our actions and our words. Abigail was. She was very prudent. She was asking David, warning him, think about this. Whatever action you take, there will be a reaction The actions we take today, what we choose to post, what we choose to say, how we choose to act towards others, even if we choose to do something angry, it's going to have a reaction. What is that going to be? And will that represent the God that we follow? And so all of this resulted in a place where her attitude literally diffused the situation. She single-handedly without raising so much as a finger, disarmed 400 armed people. And she brought resolution to this. David even thanked her and said, without you, I would have avenged with my own hands and I would have been wrong. Thank you for stepping in and doing what you did. This is a world today that is genuinely, I believe, starving, though they may not know it, for someone to step in and diffuse what we're seeing. But it's going to take more than just not insulting. It's going to take more than just not being angry. And I believe it's going to take something that Abigail pointed out to David, something he reminded her to remember is so critical in this. And it's what she said this to him. She said, please forgive me if I've offended you in any way. Abigail was right. She was the only one that was doing the right thing. But yet just... To be safe, she said, even if something I've said has upset you, then will you forgive me? Hey, David, forgiveness matters. Mercy matters. Remember that. You should. You know the God who's shown mercy. Are you forgetting that? Do we forget that? It was Jesus who rode that humble donkey into Jerusalem in a moment when he was offended by our sin, in a moment when he was offended by so much anger and hatred in the world, I can only imagine 
how this hits the heart of God, what we see nowadays. And yet Jesus rode that donkey in to offer forgiveness, even at cost to him. Think about that. This is a world right now that is asking everyone to act with insult, with anger, with violence. And I think what we need to ask ourselves is how are we going to react? Are we going to be like that? Or are we going to be something different? And I really feel in order to answer that question of whether or not we'll be something different, I think we really need to ask another question, and that's this. Who are we looking to? Who is our example? Who is setting the standards for how we act and behave? Who are we taking cues from? Will we give ourselves back to him? Because I can promise you he's not dead. And he still transforms and changes things. Will we put ourselves in his hands again so he can change and transform something in us so that we can be different? We can be someone of wisdom, someone of character, someone of mercy and forgiveness. Will we be that in these trying times? Let's reflect on that. Father, with this whole world and the direction that things may go, with all the frustration we feel and with the, rea- the actions that we see out there of, uh, of insult and, and anger, may we choose a different way as you shaped it in us. And may the world say that when they looked to those who followed you, what they saw was humility, speaking the truth, but always conscious of the consequences of actions and behavior. And ultimately, a people of mercy and grace and forgiveness, both receiving that and also being willing to extend that. This is our prayer, God. Only you can shape it in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.